Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. There are Christians who say, well, you know, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I love Jesus, but I don't like his followers. Lord, deliver me from your followers. We hear things like that today. And, you know, sometimes you can understand that there's probably some legitimate reasons for people feeling that way. But nevertheless, we cannot forget that the church belongs to God. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, in a message titled, The Manifold Wisdom of God. Now, here's Pastor Brian. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, according to the eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. So we continue today making our way through this epistle of Paul to the Ephesians. And here in the third chapter, the verses that we read together, we we have Paul transitioning from expounding on our spiritual blessings in Christ. That's what he's been doing in the first few chapters of the epistle here. But he's transitioning from that to our responsibility to walk worthy of the calling with which we were called. And then he goes on in the remainder of the chapter and he makes the transition complete with a prayer that his readers would know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. As Paul is making this transition here in verses 1 through 13, he says some important things that we need to stop and consider about the church. 
not only about the church, but also about himself and uh, about the ministry. He says some things here about Christ that we need to take a moment and reflect on. And he also tells us something about ourselves. So these are the things that we're going to be looking at briefly this morning. Now, I say that that this is uh, Paul transitioning and not to not to take away from the importance of the text, but it's clear that he's, he's making his way into the next part of the epistle that's going to become the applicational portion of it. Because what he says here in the verses that we just read are really just a bit of an elaboration on what he's already been talking about, what he discussed quite thoroughly in the second chapter. This whole thing of this, this new humanity that God has brought into existence where he's brought Jew and Gentile together, this new humanity being manifested through what we know as the church. And so thinking first of all about the church, the church really is the unfolding of a mystery that God had not made known in other ages but has now revealed. That, that's what Paul is telling us here. He, he uses the, the term mystery three times in the paragraph that we read. And the mystery is, as we're gonna go on to see, the mystery is not only is God reconciling men to himself, but he's reconciling men to one another. But, but just for a moment, the, the idea of mystery we need to realize that the English and the Greek words do not have the same meaning. When we think of the word mystery in English, we think of something dark, obscure, secret, puzzling, uh, but that's not the meaning of the Greek word. The Greek word is mysterion, and it's different. Although there's still a, a secret it's no longer closely guarded, but it's a secret that has been made known. That, that's really the idea behind the word. In Christianity, there are no esoteric mysteries. There are no esoteric mysteries in Christianity reserved for a spiritual elite. On the contrary, the Christian mysteries are truths which, although beyond human discovery, have been revealed by God and so now belong openly to the whole church. I'm quoting from a commentator there, but it's important that we understand that. I, I grew up, as I've mentioned before, I grew up in Roman Catholicism. And within the Roman Catholic system, there's, they, they use the term mystery in the sense that we would think of it today, but they, they misunderstand it because they think that the, the gospel's still a mystery. It's not a mystery. It's been revealed. It was hidden in ages past, but now God has made these things known to us. So there, there's no such thing within the Christian life of having to have some deeper type of a understanding and like an elitist sort of a group of people who know spiritual things better than others, like a, like a priesthood, for example. The priesthood, they, they know the deeper things of the spirit, but the average person, the, 
the, the laity, these things are still mysterious to them. No, that, that's not biblical Christianity. God's opened the whole thing up. He's given us an understanding that all of us can know him from the least to the greatest. We can all know him deeply and intimately. And so we just need to be clear on that. When we're talking about the mystery of the faith or the mystery of the gospel or the mystery of Christ, we're talking about something that in the ages past was not known, but it has now been made known to us. So what specifically is the mystery that Paul is referring to here? The mystery is this this bringing together of Jew and Gentile. Now for us, 2,000 years removed from this, we don't understand the full impact of this. But you have to think back to the first century. There was a sharp distinction at that time between the Jew and the Gentile. And it was crystal clear to the Jews that they were God's people, they were God's only people, and that the Gentiles were outsiders. And that was relatively clear to the Gentiles as well. The Jews made sure that the Gentiles understood that. And of course, the Jews had this history. They were undoubtedly the people of God. They could trace their ancestry back to Abraham, the call that God gave to Abraham, and then to Isaac and to Jacob. And then, of course, the great covenant that God made with them through Moses and all of the manifestations of that that they lived with, the law that they lived with, the the priesthood, the temple, the sacrificial system. These things were all indicating that these were God's people, and if you weren't part of this, you weren't part of what God was doing. But here's the, the mystery. The church is the mystery, and, and this is the unfolding that, that's come about, is that the theocracy that I just described, the Jewish nation under God's rule, would be set aside and replaced by a new international community, the church that this church would be the body of Christ, organically united to him, and that Jews and Gentiles would be incorporated into Christ and his church on equal terms without any distinction. It was this complete union of Jews, Gentiles, and Christ which was radically new and which God revealed to Paul. You see, this was the new thing. This was the revolutionary thing. The Jews... Although in their own scriptures, there were indicators, there were statements that uh, to the effect that God was going to do a work among the Gentiles, they never conceived of, of Gentiles coming in on an equal footing with them. They never, that never crossed their minds. So much so that when the apostles went forth and began to preach the gospel and they were stating that that was now the case, this is what caused the opposition quite often from the Jews. Paul was a prisoner. Remember, we looked at that last time. He was a prisoner for you Gentiles, remember? It was actually because of his message that the Gentiles were now no longer foreigners, no longer strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. It was that message that landed Paul in prison. Because, of course, his imprisonment was at the instigation of the Jews who were angry that he would suggest that the Gentiles could have this kind of relationship with God, an equal relationship, as had the Jews. So 
this is the new thing that God has done. This is the mystery that Paul is referring to here. This radically new society that God has brought into being. This, this new humanity. We've used that terminology before. Now here Paul tells us one other thing. Notice in verses 9 and 10. He says, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. So through the church, this is astounding. Listen. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed to the principalities and powers in the heavens. Now, commentators are divided as to whether the, the reference to principalities and powers are uh, holy angels or fallen angels. Some commentators are absolutely convinced it's holy angels. Some are absolutely convinced it's fallen angels. I think that Paul is referring to the holy angels here. And the reason I think that is because Peter tells us that the angels are stooping down, desiring to understand what's happening here on earth in regard to the church and salvation. So I think that that's probably what Paul is referring to here as well. But here's what we need to think about. Through the church... God is showing his manifold wisdom, his multifaceted wisdom, the, the wisdom of God that's so deep and unsearchable, uh, the wisdom of God that brought the world into existence. You know, we see uh, manifestations of God's wisdom in creation, don't we? We see the intricacies of life forms and so forth. And, and we see, wow, the, the astounding wisdom of God. Well, there's another manifestation of that wisdom through the church. Now, we need to understand that even though there have been dark seasons in the history of the church, the church is still God's, it's God's thing. And we need to love the church now, I know I'm preaching to the choir. You guys obviously do love the church. You're here this morning. But, uh, you know, there are Christians who say, well, you know, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. I love Jesus, but I don't like his followers. Lord, deliver me from your followers. We hear things like that today. And, you know, sometimes you can understand that there's probably some legitimate reasons for people feeling that way. But nevertheless, we cannot forget that the church belongs to God. It's the thing that he's brought into existence. And even though we might not be able to see it right now, there's something so amazing that is being worked out through the church that the, the principalities and powers are, are marveling at the wisdom of God that's being displayed through the church. Now, this, this word, the manifold wisdom of God, the, the word here is translated in the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Bible, um, it's translated in Genesis in reference to Joseph's coat. It's translated as uh, our English translation, the coat of many colors. 
And so that's the picture that's being painted here, the wisdom of God, the multifaceted wisdom of God, or the many-colored wisdom of God. John Stott said this. He said, the church is a multiracial, multicultural community, and it is like a beautiful tapestry. Its members come from a wide range of colorful backgrounds. No, I like this. No other human community resembles it. Its diversity and harmony are unique. It is God's new society. And the many-colored fellowship of the church is a reflection of the many-colored or many-splendored wisdom of God. I love that. I, I like what he says here. I, I like this. No other human community resembles it. You see, when the church is everything that God intends it to be, it is so beautiful. It is so unique. There's nothing like it. As he points out here, the church as a multiracial, multicultural, multi-ethnic community, that, that's the beauty of it. There's, there's nothing else like it in the world. The whole world is divided up, as we well know, based on these kinds of distinctions, racial distinctions, cultural distinctions, distinctions in you know, skin color and distinction in uh, economic status and, and so forth. This, the world's divided up into all of this. And this is just the, the history of the world. The history of the world is a history of division. It's a history of conflict. But the church is a different thing. God's taking people from all of these varied backgrounds with all of their cultural differences and their you know, racial distinctions and all that, and he's bringing them all together and making them one. That's the beauty. And that's what we, as the church, we should be seeking to, to model that to the world. That's why we've been talking about the importance of loving our fellow Christians, whether they're part of our, you know, immediate local fellowship or part of our network of churches or whatever, realizing the body of Christ is so much bigger. We're part of this universal thing. And there's all of this, this wonderful diversity in it. And it's through that diversity that the world sees something unique, something that's not like anything else. It's through that diversity that the angels look on and think, wow, this is amazing. The angels are seeing the, the many colored uh, wisdom of God through that. When I was pastoring in London years ago, uh, our church was made up of um, a diversity of, of people. You know, in, a, in an international city like London, you have, a lot of times you will have uh, churches that are, you know, distinct with their cultures or, you know, people from other nationalities move to uh, those large major cities of the world. So in London, you'd have uh, Nigerian churches and you would have uh, churches that were predominantly made up of people from South Africa. Or you might have uh, Brazilian churches or you would even have an American church in London or something like that. And um, we, we had the experience of just having a, a real diverse and multicultural and multi-ethnic. And of course, I was an American and a few others of us. And then there were the English, the, the local uh, British people. And then there were people from all these different nations. And I remember one time, I remember somebody asking me this question. They said, how did you, what was your strategy to, to, to get that to happen like that? You know, how did, what, 
what did you guys do to develop this, this beautiful thing? People were impressed at what they saw. How did, how did you do this? What was your strategy was the question. I looked at him, I thought, strategy? <laughs> if you know me, I usually don't have much of a strategy. Um, you know, this is just something the Lord's doing. We, we've just opened the doors and we're, it, anybody that wants to come, they can come. That's what the church is. That's what it should be. As I look at our community here, you know, I, I grew up in this county. And when I was a kid, when I was going to high school here in Huntington Beach, um, you know, the, the ethnic, it, the whole region was, was predominantly white at the time. And of course, Santa Ana has always had its uh, Hispanic aspect to it, or for many years now. Uh, but things have changed so much over these decades. And now we have all of this diversity. We have people from all of the different nations that have come. And I personally love this. I think this is the greatest thing in the world. This is, this is the way it's supposed to be. And it delights me as, as we grow as a church to see more and more diversity taking place. This is what it's supposed to look like. That we all come from different backgrounds, culturally maybe, ethnically. We come from different levels in society and different economic status, as I said, all this. But we come together and we're one in Christ. And we love each other. And we relate to each other and we connect, uh, not because we're on the same pay scale necessarily, uh, not because we live in the same neighborhood, but because we have the same Lord, because we have the same Savior, because we have the same Father. We're brothers and sisters. And so this is what Paul is talking about here. This is the mystery. The mystery is the church. The church is the unfolding of that mystery, this new thing that God is doing. But Paul also indirectly tells us a little bit about himself. And in doing so, he tells us a little bit about the ministry. In verse seven, he says, he became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. A minister according to the gift of grace. Anybody who ministers the gospel does so by the gift of God's grace. We are not in the ministry because we are extraordinarily holy people. We are in the ministry by the grace of God. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. There are certain Christian books that we would refer to today as classics, books that have just stood the test of time, and generation after generation of Christians have benefited from them. There is a book that is recently published called Gentle and Lowly, written by Dane Ortland. And, you know, many people are already saying that this is a Christian classic. Now, Gentle and Lowly is taken from the passage in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says of himself 
that he is gentle and lowly in heart. And so this book is looking at Jesus through that lens, and we're going to find out that Jesus is much more gracious, much more patient, much more loving than we ever imagined him to be. So this is a fantastic book, and I highly recommend it, especially for anyone who has a tendency to feel like they failed God, they've let him down, or you're not sure about God's love for you. This book is going to, I think, forever give you the right perspective on the heart of Jesus for his children. So check it out, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. You can order the book Gentle and Lowly by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.